knows that's the truth. Sometimes you look at it and you think, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if it's going to work. I'm not sure what's going to happen. I'm not sure what the results is going to be. But you know God's faithful. And that's where you realize that a person that first gets saved, they don't trust God that way. That's actually not a gift, something that God gives you. It comes by experience. And you learn that you can trust Him no matter what's going on. What's around you, how bad and bleak and indifferent it may be, but you know, I've been through enough to know He's all that I need. Isn't it a privilege for us to be together again today? <clears throat> so, so happy and so looking forward to the meetings coming up this week, Lord willing, and I know you've been praying. Let's just continue to pray that the Lord will just meet with us in a, in a great way. Um, probably going to be a big crowd for us to deal with, and we'll do our best to, to deal with that. But I want to say also that we're looking for the Lord to do great things, not just in healings and things like that, but salvation, restoration of backsliders, people getting the Holy Ghost. So somebody on your heart, invite them. Your children that's away from the Lord, invite them to come. Somebody asked me about local churches coming. I said, absolutely, let them come. Come, we'll fellowship. We'll do what we can together to help one another. Got somebody on your heart? Well, Brother Donnie, just all the self-righteous people? No. What about all the saints? I'm afraid that thing down our crowd big. All the sinless ones? Well, you want to knock me out too? Me and Brother Joel couldn't even come if you do that. I'll tell you who we invite. Thieves, whores, liars. We'll bolt down the stuff till the thieves get saved. What, what do we think church is? For the perfect? For those who need no help? No, friends. No. We want this to be a first church of mercy. First Church of Mercy, to where that those that seem so ill repute, and remember, if we ever get to a place to where that we cannot reach out to a person like that, then we're not anywhere close to Jesus. I read this week where the prophet said that the people that was around him were stinking fishermen, low down, people that a lot of us wouldn't even look at. Imagine the woman that had been married, all them husbands. We would have took the legalism of the Scripture and whatever more and proved there wasn't a bit more hope from that woman than there was the devil himself. But Jesus wrote a message of mercy on the sand. Amen. I want to be like him that way too, don't you? So let's pray and we'll just ask the Lord to move for us and um, we're just expecting God for a wonderful time. Let's turn today, if you would, to Psalm, again, Psalm 37, 3. <clears throat> Lord Willem will be having a prayer line on Saturday night. Brother Tim Prude will be opening the service, speaking for us on Friday, and then Brother Ron Spencer on 
Saturday and uh, plan on a prayer line. I told him if you didn't feel up to it, of course, be no obligation on that. We would do it if we needed to. If he wants to stay as long as he can, he can do that, whatever's comfortable for him. And then David Siler will uh, be finishing up for us on Sunday morning. So we're just coming expecting a great time. Brother Darrell told me a couple of years ago up in Virginia, Brother Sean Martins, it was about 900 to 1,000 people, something like there, there at that meeting. And the prayer line went on to 1.30 in the morning. So needless to say, if he had that many people in the prayer line, you won't have to stay that long if you don't feel that you can do it. Uh, you can be able to slip out and have some food over there in the um, fellowship hall for you. You can get that and you go. But <clears throat> just we, we come expecting the Lord to do great things with all of our hearts. But I have to be honest, I'm not just waiting till Friday. I'm expecting him today. I need him today. Anybody else need him? I need him right now. <clears throat> I need him like I've never needed him. Trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily shalt thou be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord. Listen to his promise now. And he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Romans 8, 16. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, join heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, we may also be glorified together. I spoke to you last Sunday, but let me just remind you today, you are heirs of God. That's what you receive. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 10. Paul speaking of the contrast between life, how it can be sometimes. As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. As poor, yet making many rich as having nothing and yet possessing all things. As having nothing and yet possessing all things. I mean, has a request on your heart today you'd like to be remembered before the Lord. Erica got to come home on Thursday, thank the Lord. The last couple of days she's been really, really weak. So if you all would uh, just join with us in prayer for that today. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your mercy to us. Thank you, dear God, that as the two songs we heard today, Lord, the first one, it will not be anything that we could ever do that would privilege us to walk down those streets of gold, but because you said we could come. That's how we'll get there, Lord. We're so grateful. Then, Father, we've been through enough to know you'll be enough to help us. The Lord Jesus, we're looking to you today now that you'd take your word and speak to us once again. You know our needs. There's so many. Father, the hundreds of people that are here and the thousands that'll go back and hear this service, help us. We need you today, Lord. We need your strength. We need your healing. We need your, your great encouragement. We need 
All the things that our souls thirst for today can only be satisfied by you. Take your word and speak to us, would you, Father? In the name of the Lord Jesus, we ask it. And the saints said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. How innumerable are the blessings of God to his people. We've been speaking about the bride's bill of rights. A few more that we'd like to look at today by the help of the Lord. One of them is the right to reign. The right to reign, R-E-I-G-N, reign. Reigning is something that most people in this life can never do correctly. Some start out maybe in a kingdom and a position, a magistrate, a prime minister, a president, a person of authority, a person of renown, as we would say. No doubt many of them have started out great, had good intentions of serving the people in their kingdom or their constituency, wherever they are. And then they go to seeing opportunities that are only available for the upper echelon by ways that they can cheat and get by with it and do wrong and feel like that they're free from penalty or prosecution like the rest of us are. And like so many even police officers we hear about it and state troopers and judges and many people like that. And before long, the vision of what they initially set out to be changes and they find themselves a total different person. I've always thought it must, have been, must be really unusual for a judge, whether he's a circuit judge or whatever type of judge that he is, and he has people come before him all the time and he will give to them the law. And yet you hear of different ones of those judges that are worse than the people that they sentence. And you think, do they get to a place to where they just lose the sense of right and wrong, they don't even care about it anymore, and yet they would send you to jail, to prison, they would say a certain fine of X amount of dollars, and they themselves live worse than you do. And it must be something that transitions in a lot of people, that they change with authority and power, and they get to a spot to where that morality, justice, and character, and truth, it no longer has any value. But what has the highest value to them is what they can do, what they can get by with, the amount of money they can make, and what they're able to pull over and be able to get by with. But we know people like that aren't really fit to reign. If we would be able to look at the end of a president's term and see what he was going to do to our nation, he would never become president because most people would look at that and say, man, I don't want that guy doing this to our country. I don't want that guy doing this and turning it into that, turning us upside down. There's no way we would want that. But we really don't know, do we? But God has the ability by foreknowledge to be able to look ahead in time. Before there was any time, and be able to look ahead and see what people would do. 
He knew what David would do. He knew what Solomon would do. He knew what Ahab would do. He knew what a lot of people down through time that would be in position of leadership, what they would do. But ultimately, he does not always stop and forbid people of the evil and darkness from being in a position of authority. But ultimately, when it comes to reigning with him in the future kingdom, he will control all who sits with him in his throne. But before we will ever reign with him in eternal life, and I hope you understand already that we are reigning right now in the kingdom of grace. We are in the kingdom of grace and we have already a dominion, a position, a place in Christ Jesus. But God will judge and God will parallel the ability of those who will reign in the future kingdom, but they must also prove themselves a character which will be noteworthy. Now we know we're familiar with the church age book that power apart from character is satanic and we truly can testify that all of us in one way or another. So God will have a people that will have a power that had never before given to any human being. From myself, I find that God makes it hard to be a king. God makes it hard to be a leader. God makes it very difficult to be a ruler of people. I'm talking about God's people. Because he wants to search and find out the best that he can put before his people. Now every leader is not chosen necessarily by God, but chosen by the people. And we see Ahab, whenever he was in his position, he was a very reflection of the age of Israel. We see the very first king, King Saul, and when you look at Saul's makeup and you wonder in your mind, why would God ever choose a man like Saul. But when you look at Saul, where he was, who he was, and then you look at the end result of Saul, you can see that Saul was a mirror of the age that he lived in. He matched the people. So to put David as the first king would have never matched the mindset of the people because the people were rebellious. The people wanted a man to be their leader. And what did God give them? A stubborn, hard-headed, rebellious king. He matched the people. Now, I don't want to hurt your feelings first thing this morning, but our president, our Congress, our Senate, most of our leaders in this nation is a mirror image of the majority of Americans. Rebellious, liars, thieves, robbers, hellbound. Good morning. Hellbound. Now that don't match us. That's not who we would choose to be our leaders. Is that right? Because we have a different taste, a different desire. So God, and what I'd like to do for a few minutes this morning is parallel this and in going into this about the right to reign with Christ Jesus 
And we know that this life truly is the shortest span of time that we'll ever live. And we're making preparation now for the world that is to come. And God will try us. He will chasten us. He will put us through all kinds of difficult things to thin us down and thin down his crowd and show who his people really are. Uh, Read with me, if you would, in Romans chapter 9, verse 12. And keep this in mind now that we're talking about reigning, that we have a right to reign. So election will truly identify with a predestinated seed, but there will be something in life that will show that we are fit to reign. Now notice Paul, he picks this up. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. Now I want you to notice the first thing that Paul separates you from your body. And he does not call you a mortal, but he calls your body mortal. So he's speaking now to a category of people who have already entered into immortality by the new birth. These people have been changed by the power of God. So he separates them from their self. Now notice how he speaks to us. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. So who's he speaking to? He's not speaking to the body. Romans 6 is not addressed to the body, but it's addressed to you, the conqueror, the born again, the redeemed, the immortal one. Now he's telling the immortal one how to treat the mortal one. Listen, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. Look at the word reign, basilio. It means to be king to exercise kingly power, to reign, to exercise the highest influence to control. So here Paul is telling the saints of God, they have the ability to refuse to let sin be the king of their mortality. Now he cannot say this to an unregenerate person because their soul, their spirit, and their body is the dominion of the devil. But this is speaking to a person who lives in a divided kingdom. And the church said, in the divided kingdom, you will be addressed separately. So your soul will be spoken to and your body will be spoken to. The king of who you are will be the dominant force of the kingdom. Now, sin will try to dominate even the saints of God. Let us, everybody, lay aside our angelic crowns and all of our wings and all of those holy, high, angelic attitudes that we think we have. And let's come right down to where the pavement meets, the road meets meets together, and the rubber tire hits it and wears and wears and wears. And let's just look at ourselves in reality today that every one of us, if you've been filled with the Holy Ghost for 40 years or 50 or 60 or for five minutes, you realize that there is a battle going on with you and that battle is between two kings. I'd like to preach that to you sometime, a tale of two kings. 
because there is a great warfare. Now the world, of course, will reject the king of preeminence. They will reject the king of immortality and light. So really, this does not affect them. But it affects those that have already been born again. Now notice he says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. So you mean there is a way then that sin will try to get you and I to obey it. But we're not, we're not subject to that kingdom no more. No, but your body still is. It's a creature of time. And you might as well say, man, it's the greatest enemy you'll ever have in your life is yourself. Let not sin therefore reign, be king, in your mortal body that ye should obey, again, look at this word, be obedient to, to listen, to hearken to a command, to obey, to submit to. Now notice again, the divided kingdom. So Paul is speaking then to those who are regenerate and testifying that they have a king in their soul, but that their mortality is still under the basilio of Satan. And he will try his best, whether by sickness or sadness or depression or temper or anger or jealousy and so on and so on to bring you under the control of the flesh. How many still fights that battle? Well, I can see all the rest of you needs delivered of line. If you're born again, you still fight that battle. Now notice, let sin not therefore reign in your mortal body that ye should obey it. So notice the difference between again the body and the soul. So the body, even though the body is not born again, the body will still try to pull you. Your emotions, your infatuations, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life, it will still try to pull you because there's another kingdom that Satan wants to establish within your mortality and it will pull on you until the day you die or the day you are changed. Question answer 64, the prophet likened it to a cockleburr that the heart was cut out of the cockleburr and a wheat heart was put inside it and he said you'll have that carnal sticky nature that'll bother you as long as you live. And the church said, but the good part about it is it bothers you. But now I want you to notice that Paul goes on to say that you should not obey this king inside of your mortality. And what would he try to do in the lust thereof? Notice what the word lust is. We're all talking about lust for this, lust for that. But notice what it means. It's very, very simple. A desire, a craving, a longing for what is forbidden. Now, a lot of times, first thing we think about when we hear the word lust, we think about sexual. If that's all you think about, oh my goodness, you are missing so much of the enemy's tactics. It's a lust or a desire for anything that God forbids us to have. So God does not want his children to have temper tantrums. So Satan will try to move on you to cause you to lust after a temper tantrum so you can give somebody a piece of your mind. You're lusting for that which is forbidden. Well, praise the Lord. The Lord don't want any of his children to hold an unforgiving spirit. 
Well, lust will try to get on you to lust after and say, well, I've got a right. They've done this to me. No, you do not have a right. You are to forgive even your enemies. So remember, keep this in mind now that lust is a craving or a desire for anything that is forbidden. That's somebody else's wife. That's somebody else's husband, somebody else's property. Or if it's a preacher, it may be somebody else's gift or somebody else's influence. Well, I wish I could be like that man. I wish I could be like that man. I desire to be like that man. If God never gave you that, then you are lusting for something that is forbidden for you. Praise the Lord. So sin then is represented as a king or a tyrant who wants to bring the power of the mind and the control of the soul into his submission. Now for those who have the baptism of the Holy Ghost, Satan knows the token once applied to the soul, he'll never be able to get that soul again. But if he can cause you to grieve the Holy Spirit that is in your soul, he is so satisfied with just doing that. So if he can use his kingdom that he tries to set up right here, see, taste, feel, smell, hear, imagination, conscience, memory, all of that, and he will try to bring them gates and make you fall subject to that, and then you do or say something you shouldn't do or say, then you feel so grieved, and the Holy Spirit is grieved away from you. He is so happy, Satan is, whenever we will do something that will grieve him away from our life. And then, of course, when we repent and say we're wrong and then we deal with the days or the weeks or the months of the aftermath of a terrible mistake, how many knows how that feels like? It feels absolutely awful to a child of God. And if Satan cannot get into the soul no more, then he simply changes the tactic, but the warfare is still ongoing. So the king wants to dominate the mortality of our body and the mortality of our spirit. Now remember, when you die, the prophet tells us that your spirit breaks up when you die. In eternity, you will no longer have a human spirit. You will not have imagination. You'll not have conscience. You'll not have a human spirit. You say, what will I have? You will have a body, you will have a theophany, and you will have a gene seed which is in your soul. That was the original word image created after the divine Godhead. You see, God created you in the image of himself. So what was he? He was King God, King Jesus, King Theophany. So God become a man, is that right? And God also created himself a theophany. So he wanted us to have a seed gene, a theophany, and a body. But now we roll around through time and we forfeited the ability to have a theophany living in us in this life. So what did God give us as a substitute until we leave this world? A human spirit. So in our human spirit, we go to imagining, this brother don't like me, that sister don't like me, I've been noticing, now what is that? Your imagination and your spirit. And then your conscience, where is it? Your spirit, your memory, the things you've done that was wrong, where is it? In your spirit. You see, once your spirit is taken from you and you get a theophany, you'll never ever again remember one thing you ever done wrong but it's stored inside your human spirit. So God takes care of that and just annihilates that spirit and gives you a theophany. 
But God wants the kingdom to be so established in our hearts now that every day, if you can imagine, it's like a, a great castle. Now, Carol and I stood in Jerusalem four or five years ago, and the city, of course, is not the original city, but it was rebuilt during the times of the Ottoman powers. And whenever you go through there, they got the Damascus Gate, they got the Lion Gate, they got the Zion Gate, they got the Dung Gate. They got all these different gates. And you'll go from one side to the other to the other, and all of it comes right to the center of Jerusalem. So the Damascus Gate, which is one of my favorites, and when you come up through there, and the gates are so narrow that you still cannot get a full-size car into those places. So they'd build it like this and then turn it like this so it'd make it very hard for the enemy to get through the gate. And they would also have slits up here on the top and they would have a place cut in the rock and whenever you would come through, if you made it through the first turn of the gate, they'd have people above you with a welcoming sign. That welcoming sign was boiling hot water or boiling hot oil. So by the time you realize it, you're fried faster than a Kentucky fried chicken. That's exactly right. Why? Because the gate is the weakness. So when you come into the gate, they want to try to stop you there. Well, if you can imagine that you yourself have several gates too, and the basilio of your mortality is constantly hitting at that one gate, which is the gate of the soul. So he'll try to take your eyes and make them wander and roam to a place they should not be or your imagination of your spirit. And what will happen is he will couple those gates together. So your eyes begin to wander and roam. Then he will make a connection between the eyes to the imagination and the spirit. And then you begin to think, oh, how this would be and how that would be. Then he'll try to take another. Maybe it will be, it will be touch. So he'll take touch and then it will come back to memory. And then all these gates are connecting from the flesh and the soul. Remember, you've got 10 against one. You've got 10 gates against that one. This is why I say, friend, those who live in this life and overcome by the grace of God, they will be a people that are fit to reign. So how will God give the Laodiceans, and the majority of them, of course, are going to heaven, they think, and the majority of them are going to walk down streets of gold and live with angels and all that sort of thing, and they can't even live a godly enough life to overcome a habit? They can't even live a godly enough life to be able to live above sin in this world, and they're going to rule and reign with Christ Jesus in the millennium and be with him in the eighth day? I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but if you can't overcome the king here, you won't reign with the king there. Notice Paul goes on to say in Romans 6.13, neither yield ye your members. Again, notice how he's separating the people here. Neither yield ye. So the ye in verse 13 is the same person that he was talking to in the other verse prior to this. So the ye is that part of you which has reached immortality. Neither yield ye your members. Now they are your members, but notice he does not call your members you. But he calls them in a possessive term that they are yours. They are yours. And you have the ability by the grace of God to bring them under control. And the saints said, but notice it will be totally up to you and I. Neither yield ye. You notice he's not saying now the Holy Ghost will do this for you. All you gotta do is come to church once every now and then whether you feel like you need to or not. Read your Bible on the occasion you need to. Pray whenever you think you need to. And the Holy Ghost will take care of everything else. 
I'm not sure what version you're reading that from, but I'd burn it. I said, I'd burn it. It ain't the Bible. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness. Is there any honest people here today that can say you've yielded your mouth, your eyes, your ears, your fingers, and your tongue? Come on now. As members of unrighteousness? Now, when you did that, did that mean you were not born again? Does that mean you didn't have the Holy Ghost? If you had the Holy Ghost before, you still had it after you done that dumb thing. And we all still do those dumb things, don't we? But how was it then that it came about? Because ye yielded your mouth. Instead of thinking, waiting, praying, this ain't right, I shouldn't do that, I'm, a, I'm acting in haste, I need to wait, I need to pray, and make sure this is the Lord. And what do we do? Sometimes we do, and sometimes we don't then we will allow from the control tower of the soul and we will allow the king and the basilio of our mortality and then we'll give somebody a piece of our mind. I'll tell you, the older I get, the realized more senile I'm getting anyway, I figure I better keep every piece of my mind I've got because I'm gonna need it. Let me tell you young people, you're gonna find out you're gonna need yours too. But what does Satan do? He will get us upset, all been out of shape over this and that and the other, and then we will yield our instruments. Notice he don't say your soul. But you yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. But yield yourselves unto God. Oh, listen to this. As those that are alive from the dead. Praise be to God. So we once were dead, according to what he tells us in the book of Ephesians, that we were dead, but those of us who were dead, he has now quickened us in Christ Jesus. So we were dead, but the soul has been quickened by the Spirit of God. And that puts a basilio inside the throne of our heart, our soul, and that will allow him to control every one of these instruments right here. So instead of getting on a website that you shouldn't get on there, the king sends the control tower and the sensor comes up into your brain and says, hey, hey, don't do that www.don'tyoudothat.com www.godswatchingyou.com Come on, saints. If we will stay in harmony with that, then our instruments will constantly be yielded instead of picking up your phone to bless somebody else. You pick up your phone and send them a text. Hey, brother, you're on my heart today. I wanted you to know I love you. I'm praying for it. Then you take the same phone, you take the same thumbs, you take the same fingers, and you send a message of faith and hope and encouragement and uplifting instead of message of discord and a message of confusion. I wish somebody would preach with me. You send a message and what do you do? The king from your soul channels your instruments to be a service to the kingdom of God. Oh, praise the Lord. Notice that as those that are alive from the dead and your members, notice again, he separates your members from the new birth. 
It doesn't say your members are alive from the dead. But you are. And then he said, you, oh my, that are alive from the dead and your members, which is separate from the alive from the dead part, as instruments of righteousness unto God. Verse 14, for sin shall not have dominion over you. How many wants that more than anything in this world? For sin shall not have dominion over you. Look at this word dominion. Exercise lordship over. To rule. Same word as the other if you'll notice. Exact same word that he uses in the other verse. So sin will not be king over you. He will be subject to the spirit of God. Notice now, then there's definitely a kingdom that we must overcome to be a part of the everlasting, never failing, never ending, immutable kingdom of God. Read with me in Romans chapter eight, verse 17. Now let's go in the other direction and look at the kingdom that we're longing for. And if children then heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs of Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, we may be also glorified together. Why in the world would God link suffering with glorification? Why would God want to identify suffering as a part of moving out of this realm into a higher realm? Why do we need to suffer? Why? Why is it so imperative that the people of God go through so many things? Whether it is sickness or depression or sadness or whatever it is or past, but yet dealing with so many things. I found this in studying this and I thought it was quite astounding statement that Martin Luther said, Christ himself was not glorified till first crucified. Christ himself was not glorified until first crucified. Is that right? So we do not see the glorification of his humanity first, but what he allows us to see is the weakness of his humanity and then the glorification follows it. Notice in verse 18, Paul goes on to say in Romans 8, 18, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. I don't mind telling you, sometimes that becomes a little bit harder to be able to get in your focus because the sufferings of this present time can be so difficult, so harsh, so droll, so heavy to bear And you say, Lord, will it ever end? God, when is this trial going to pass? God, help us everywhere you look. I know many of you live in your own little private world and you've got you and your father and mother and mother-in-law and father-in-law and you've got a few cousins and a few aunts and uncles and you live in that little tiny world. But let me tell you something. There's a world out there of our brothers and sisters I'm talking about around the nations of the earth. It is unbelievable. The things that the body of Christ is going through around the world. 
there's great advantages to our phones. I, I thank God for them in that sense. But yet, the one downside is I hear from all over the world, all over the world, nearly every day. Just after the break of dawn the other morning, I heard from Japan, from Africa, from India, from the islands in the Pacific, all over the world. And to hear this need, that need, this trouble, that trouble, this going on, that going on. It, can it be a blessing? Yes, it can be a blessing, but with it comes more of a load. This brother's facing this at the point of death. This child just fell. This young girl just fell out of a FedEx truck, which happened a couple of weeks ago, riding with her father and died. Oh my goodness. And this happened and that happened. What does it do? It brings more burdens to us. Those of you that are in contact with that, you know what I'm saying. And it, it uh, can become so difficult and so heavy at times. But yet, do we not remember what he said in his word? That Paul said, bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So what is the law of Christ? Well, it's not the Mosaic law. It's not the law of the Talmud or of, of the, the rabbis, but it was the law of Christ, which was what? Not thou shalt and thou shalt not, but the law of love. Amen. Notice in the Sumerian church age, the Lord God Almighty says, I know. There he is walking in the midst of his people. There he is, the chief shepherd of the flock. But does he hold back the persecution? Does he stem the tribulation? No, he does not. He simply, notice this, says, I know your tribulation. I am not at all unmindful of your suffering. What a stumbling block this is to so many people. Like Israel, they wonder if God really loves them. How can God be just and loving if he stands by and watches his people suffer. I dare say there's probably been the majority of us sitting here in this building today at some time or another wonder why don't God move? All he'd have to do is just look your way and this would be gone and that would be gone. He wouldn't even have to raise a finger. He wouldn't even have to say a word. All he'd have to do is look that way. Remember, that's what the devil used against the prophet. He said he wouldn't have to say one word. All he'd have to do is look this way. There's your wife dead. There's your baby dead. Your daddy died a few weeks ago. Your brother died, your sister-in-law. And he said he'd done come too late to tell me there wasn't a God. But what he was telling me was that he didn't love me. Well, you know, sometimes we can find ourselves in the same way. Why does God allow this to go on? And let me tell you right now, I don't know why God allows this to go on and that to go on. But I know one thing, my God is perfect. I know one thing, another thing, my God makes no mistakes. And when we pray, if the Lord delays, he has a reason in his delay. And he don't always give us the reason, but he just says, trust me, even when you don't understand. Believe me even when you cry and you pray and you're doing everything you know to do. What should I do, Brother Donnie? Stand therefore and gird about yourself the armor of a child of God because he will move in his time and it'll be right on time. Oh my. You see, they could not figure out God's love. They thought that love meant no suffering. 
I'd say they ain't the only ones. They thought that love meant a baby with parental care. But God said that his love was elective love. And the proof of his love is election. That no matter what happened, his love was proven truly by the fact that they were chosen unto salvation through the sanctification of the spirit and the belief of the truth. He may commit you to death as he did Paul. He may commit you to suffering as he did Job. Listen now. Oh my goodness. This is his prerogative. How many of y'all want to suffer? How many of you wants to die in your 40s? 30s, 20s, teens? Wow, nobody. But what if he chooses to commit one of us to death before our three score and 10? What if he, in his own great counsel, says, I'm gonna let this man, this woman, this boy, this girl, go through horrendous things, but I know them. I know them before the test ever comes. When the test has passed, they'll still be serving me. They'll still be loving me. As a matter of fact, their faith will be stronger than it ever was before. Now, sometimes when he does such, we look at him, we're trying to ponder and understand, God, what? Especially if you're a parent, if you're a parent and you see a child going through something, you think you'd do anything and everything to keep them from going through this terrible, terrible thing. And then if we're not careful, we'll try to judge God by that same way. God, I, I would never let my boy go through that. I, you're God. How come you'll do it? I call that the no-fly zone. You better stay out of there. You don't belong there. You don't belong there. The devil will go to creating doubt and questions and all kinds of things in your mind about the sovereignty of God. So what do you do, Brother Donnie? Well, you just tell him, Lord, I love you. I trust you. I'll do what Job said. If you slay me, I'm still gonna trust you. If you take everything I've got, I'm gonna trust you. I don't understand, but I'm not saved by understanding. I'm not gonna take the rapture by understanding. I believe his word and he's right even when I think he ain't. Now, how many ultra-honest Christians do we have here today that would be honest and say, there's been times I've already wondered about the Lord's way, and I've... Oh, my goodness. This is his prerogative. He is sovereign. It is all with a purpose. If he did not have a purpose, then he would be the author of frustration and not of peace. His purpose is after we have suffered a while, we would be made perfect, be established, strengthened, and settled. As Job says, he puts strength in us. You see, he himself suffered. He learned obedience 
by the things that he suffered, he was actually made perfect. This is mind-boggling. Made perfect by the things that he suffered. And he quotes the scripture here in Romans, Hebrews rather. Though he were a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered, being made perfect. He became the author of eternal salvation to all them that obey him. In very plain language, the very character of Jesus was perfected by suffering. Now how many still wants to reign? Ah, you'd rather just mop the floors I see now. I figured we could minimize the amount of thrones we'd need. Throne room won't be near as big, will it? Oh my. Notice this. Lord God. In very plain language, the very character of Jesus. Jesus was perfected by suffering. Now notice he does not say the character of God. But the character of Jesus, which is who? The humanity of God. This is another one of those things that he laid aside, his splendor, not just a robe of dignity and a great crown, but he stepped out beyond his own character and stepped into a character of mortality that was not perfect. I know that's mind-boggling. If he would have brought a perfect character to the earth and he was the firstborn among many brethren, then you would have had to have been born with your character when you got the new birth. But he had to step beyond his perfect character and allow himself to think thoughts, human thoughts, feel human temptation, have human weakness, sat outside of a city after he had raised a boy from the dead and sat out there and groaned with a headache. Lord God. And according to Paul, he has left his church a measure of suffering that they too, by their faith in God while suffering for him, would come to a place of perfection. Now you said, Brother Donnie, I thought the blood of Jesus perfects us. It does. This is a different type of perfection. This is completion. Teleos, maturity, completion. The blood of Jesus makes your soul pure. Just as Pierre heard the prophet say yesterday, he said when the Lord God looks at us through the blood, he don't even see us. He sees Jesus. And hears his voice when you pray. You say, what's all this stuff going on for? Your character. Look, you don't take your cars with you when you go. You don't take your homes. You don't take your title. We don't take our building. What do we take with us? The only thing we take is our character. And our character is flawed. Our character is imperfect. And even the word does not speak to our character and create it in the state of perfection. But God chose one thing to perfect human. Suffering. Makes me wish I wasn't so flawed. 
Maybe it wouldn't take so long. Now, for those of you that don't have very many flaws, you pray for all the rest of us old dirt bags, will you? And we'll pray for you that God will remove them scales from your eyes and help you to see you're just as bad, if not worse, than we are. At least we can see we're in a shape. You don't even think you are. <laughs> Lord God, why did he want this? And he quotes the scripture, James 1, 2 to 4. We'll just skip, skip down through there. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptation. And I've got to be honest, there's times with you that I can do that, and there's times I struggle with it. How many struggles with it? You count it all joy. Well, glory to God. Hallelujah. What are you shouting about now? Got a new car? Got a new house? No, I've been tempted like everything. I'll tell you what, glory to God. I think I'm about to have a spell. By the way, I'm telling about Charles G. Finney when he met the Lord and he was a preacher, he was a lawyer, real dignified. And he said, oh, he said to some sisters home, he said, Brother Charles, you need the Holy Ghost. He said, I've got the Holy Ghost. He said he went out one day to pray and he got out in the woods by himself and he heard a, a, a little limb of a thing snap and he said he was right out from his office. He he jumped up, <laughs> wiped his clothes off. He said, Lord, have mercy. Here I thought my boss had caught me praying. And he said, I, I, I ain't got the Holy Ghost. He stayed right there until he got the Holy Ghost and prayed through and the Spirit of God come down. And he said one time when he come back into preaching, he took off running and went come to the back wall of the church and said, Lord, I'm gonna bring reproach on you. I gotta stay back here until your blessing wears off. That's the difference between a man that's drunk and a man that's just reading about drinking. That's what a lot of our message folks are. They read about the quotes. But once you ever get so drunk on the Holy Ghost, it will help you when you're down. It'll help you when you're weary. It'll help you when you don't understand. It'll help you when you're questioning. Page 117, paragraph one. Why does he stand by? The reason is Romans 8, 17 to 18. Then he reads the scripture that we've been reading. Unless we suffer with him, we cannot reign with him. You have to suffer to reign. The reason for this is character is simply never made without suffering. Character is, say it with me, a victory, not a gift. Oh, man. That'd been a whole lot better than tongues, wouldn't it? That'd been a whole lot better than discernment and visions. My, the Lord just said, here you go. Here you go, stand in line here, everybody. All right, everybody, come on, stand in line here. Here's your character, here's your character, here's your say. Glory to God, praise the Lord. Well, look at me now. Hallelujah, I'm heavenly bread, I am well read, Holy Ghost feel fed, I'm ready for the rapture. Man, I'm ready for a strong, look out devil, here I come. Boy, praise God, but instead we get the Holy Ghost and don't you know it's somebody that we go to church with, we don't even like. And they just crawl under our skin. They crawl under our skin and bite us. And they just, boy, they push all of our buttons. Some folks don't push your buttons. They jerk your buttons out of focus. They jerk your buttons out and rewire them. And then when you push them the next time, you're and you're trying to figure out what in the world. I said, what happened? Oh, I know who that was. That was old so-and-so. He rewired my buttons, yeah. You know why? And people say, well, I'm leaving that church. I, they don't, I don't get my way. That's probably where you need to go. 
Oh, come on, somebody. Why God may use opposition to mold and shape our character. A man without character can't, listen, can't, impossible, no way, will not happen, no, not maybe, perhaps, well, some, we'll work it out. A man or a woman without character cannot reign. Well, what about jumping? What about running? What about healings and miracles? He don't say healings. Character. Do you understand one day divine healing will stop? You understand there'll be no faith in heaven. There'll be no faith in heaven. Faith is only for mortality. Faith will not be needed in heaven. Faith will end in sight. What you believed and what you hoped and what you trusted you will see. You will actually see it. You will no longer need faith. There won't be no need of preachers. They say, well, glory to God. They'll all be there. The Holy Ghost feelings anyway. They just won't be preaching no more. So, oh, I thought I was going to get away from preachers. Never. Never. You're always going to have us. Oh, I'll tell you one thing. Some of you little dear darlings, you might as well get used to me because we're going to spend eternity together. We are going to shout together. We're going to praise God together. We're going to worship together. You ain't never getting rid of me. I'll vote you out. You might vote me out here, but you can't vote me out up yonder. They don't hold elections up there. Notice, a man without character can't reign because power, apart from character, is, wow, but power with character is fit to rule. And since he wants us to share even his throne, Think of it, not just eternal life, that you're living around a city and you're drinking the water and walking on streets of gold. He wants us to share his throne. Who is this person? Who is this mighty Elohim that would want mortals to share his throne? Oh, Lord. On the same basis, the same basis, that he overcome and is set down in his father's throne. And we have to overcome the set with him and the little temporary suffering we go through now is not worthy to be compared to the tremendous glory that'll be revealed in us when he comes. Oh, what treasures are laid up for those who are willing to enter into his kingdom through much tribulation. Friends, can't you see why the majority of Laodiceans will never even come close to this? To them, one of their greatest battles on Sunday morning, they just get so stressed out, the ladies, which miniskirt do I wear to church? Which high heels? Should I paint my eyes pink or blue? I'm so stressed. 
Can you imagine taking a Laodicean church member and put him under the strain of a bride life for one week? Take a denominational young person and put them under the stress that our young people deal with in a month's time. There'd be more suicides. There wouldn't be enough funeral homes in the Tri-Cities to bury them all. Don't think just that God allows his older people to suffer. Our youths also suffer. They suffer depression. They suffer rejection. They suffer all types of things. But let me tell you something. The Lord Jesus knew he would have some young daughters in this last day. He would have some young men. They would also stand there and overcome. They would look hell in the face and say, I will not bow. I will not bow to you, Satan. I'll not bow to luxury. I'll not bow to fashion. I choose the way with the Lord's despised few. Think it not strange concerning, concerning the fiery trials that are to try you. That is what Peter said. It's strange that God wants us to develop a Christ-like character that comes through suffering. No, sir, we all have trials and we're all tried and chastened as sons. Not but one goes through that. Listen, church. The church that is not suffering is, oh my, it's not being tried, hasn't got it, isn't of God. Oh, I, I, I hear this message, church, Brother Don, and they're always on the mountain. They never have no battles. I'd run from that place as fast as I could. Something ain't right. Come on, don't sit there and look at me funny. I'm reading to you from the message of the hour. If a church isn't being tried, it's not of God. Can I have a few more minutes? You know, when I read these things, I, I realize, especially in the last couple of weeks I've been looking at this, I can see why the world thinks we're a bunch of nuts. Second Corinthians 4.17, for our light affliction, which is but for, our light affliction is but for a moment worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. You say, how can he say such a thing? He's looking at the difference between the present and the future. The present and the future. The disparity of the issues that he went through. Had he focused on them alone, this man would have been so down and so discouraged he probably wouldn't have known what to do. But he said, our light affliction, which is but for a moment. Now, he calls what he's been through all this time a light affliction. And he says, it only lasted but a moment. Well, I'm glad it didn't last an hour. <laughs> Come on, somebody understand what I'm saying? So you look back to the hardest thing you've ever been in your life and say, well, that wasn't but a moment. He said, dear God. 
I'm glad it wasn't a day. If it had been a day, I'd have been dead a long time ago. But we cannot compare it in the way we measure time. Notice what he said in verse 18. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Now let me share with you a little bit of his light afflictions, which but before a moment. 2 Corinthians 1, 5, For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth my Christ. And whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer, whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as we are partakers of the sufferings, so shall we be also of the consolation. For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which we came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. Wow. Now what's amazing is Paul doesn't even tell us what this particular thing is, Brother Timothy, that he was going through. We don't even know. He don't even call it by name. Well, it's when Demetrius down this is whenever I was thrown in jail. He don't even say. But what he's emphasizing is what went on. Now notice he says, which come to us in Asia, that we were pressed. Look at the word. Be heavy. Be burdened. Too burdened. Weighed down. Depressed. How many's ever been there? You mean a church-age messenger felt so weighted down and so loaded and under such depression? Oh, my goodness. Out of measure. I just can't take it no more, Lord. It's bigger than what I can do. It's more than I can stand. I'm pressed out of my measure. This is totally unfair. This burden belongs to Brother Rob, not me. This burden should never be mine. Look at Paul. Above strength. So he's pressed beyond what he should have been bearing and he's above strength. The burden is so heavy. The load is so difficult. I cannot bear this another day. That we despaired even of life. Look at the word despaired. To be at utterly at loss, utterly destitute of measures or resources. To renounce all hope. There ain't even a hope left. There's not even a resource. But when he comes after that trial, he tells us, it wasn't but for a moment. Imagine if people get the Corinthian letter and they're reading it and said, would you please make up your mind? Would you please make up your mind? I mean, you stretch this thing out and you emphasize all these Greek words and you use the heaviest Greek words in the Greek language to be able to emphasize there's five different words used for all that. And Paul chose all five of them, which was the heaviest burden that could be borne by a human being. And then when he comes out of that valley, he said, glory to God, it wasn't but for a moment. 
Oh, he said, praise be to God. I got such victory out of that. Can you imagine when he comes out of this that he looks back and said, I learned something in that trial that I'd never learned before. I got something out of that trial that I'd never seen before that God vanquished all of my strengths and God vanquished all of my ability. I've always found I could, boy, when the devil would come, I'd quote that word, I'd do this, that, the other. Paul said, I got to a place I couldn't even do that. I vanquished all of my strength, all of my stamina, all of my ability, and I thought there is no hope left. And here he come. Oh, glory. My brother, sister, it's the darkest hour that Jesus comes along. God may and sometimes does exercise his servants with such stress and pressing them to their limit and their max to their own natural strength is unable to regain. And they just realize, I'm whipped. Okay. That's it. Oh, you mean they're going to the world? Goodness, no. They just realize it's the end of themselves, which is the very thing he's wanting anyway. Because every one of us have too much of us. We can always fall back on this. And boy, when we get down, we can always fall back on that. Boy, whenever we face this, we can always fall back on that. Well, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but he's gonna blow every one of your fallbacks out of the way. He's gonna blow every one of your strengths totally out of the way until you come to a spot to where you say, Lord, I can't even walk without you holding my hand. Lord, I can't even hold my head up. Lord, I'm so low, I don't know what to do. I don't know what word to use. I don't know what quote to use no more. I don't know what scripture to use no more, but I I know my God is still in control. He's up when I'm down. He's well when I'm sick. He is my father. He is my healer. He is my redeemer. He will not let me go. Notice this, and I'll close. Look in verse 9. But we had the sentence of death in ourselves. I just knew this is it. I'm not going to make it. I'm going to die. We had the sentence of death in ourselves. But listen, here's the key. That we should not trust and ourselves, glory. <laughs> I want you to notice how he says it's so peculiar, but he's a son of Abraham. That we should not trust in ourselves, but in God, which raises the dead. <laughs> so Paul looked at himself by the evidence, I'm dead. This is it. Now, we don't know whether it was a magistrate. We don't know what it was. If they're going to feed him to the lions, we don't have no clue what it was. But Paul had come to the reality, this is it. I'm dead. There's no way out of this situation. And then he realized, oh, so that's why you did that. So my strength would be totally gone. And I would be like Abraham. When Abraham's body was dead 
And Sarah's womb was dead, but he believed God could raise the dead. And here Paul says about himself, he said the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God, which raiseth the dead. What did Paul experience? Out of this great trial, out of this great trauma, and he was down in the ashes. Oh, I'm done. I, I fought with the beast of Ephesus. I've been through this, I've been through that. I've not lived through this one. I'll not make it. This is it. So here he goes, the ashes of humility. But then the God of Abraham said, Rise up, O Phoenix. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Rise up, Phoenix. And out of the ashes come a servant of God like Satan had never dealt with before. He thought the other Paul was bad news. Hey, this is a total different book right here. This is a complete different Paul. This is a complete different Joel. This is a complete different Donnie. Would not it be worth it if God has to bring us down to the ashes and then God says, arise, my Phoenix. Arise, great Hallelujah. Arise out of the ashes. And you can rise and say, I was dead. But I'm alive. There was no hope, but he came. There was no way out. Oh, glory to God, glory to God. Oh, when the bride can arrive to this verse. This is not quote Mark 16. This is not quote St. John 14, 12. Let's quote this one too. Then we are ready for the rapture. But we had the sentence of death in ourselves. You'll never live. You're too far gone. The cancer's advanced. There's no way we can ever work on your heart. We can't do this. We can't do that. How many sitting right here in this building today had the sentence of death pronounced on you by a professional? And he was telling you everything his chart said. But God don't always follow their charts. We've got another chart. We've got another report. It's Dr. God. Hallelujah. What's that? Let me read this once more. But well, we had the sense of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but God, in God, which raises the dead. The tribulation was so violent. It was so violent, so overwhelming that he had no hope. And it was just like he thought, this is it. This is it. 
But I love it, even when saints will get there and they look at it and think, wow, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to pull through this time or not. But they still go back to what Martha said, or Mary said, even now, Lord, whatever you say, whatever you say. I don't reckon none of us here today is as bad as Lazarus was, are we? And he all four days dead? Four days gone, his spirit out there somewhere? But she said, even now, whatever you ask God, God will do it. Well, Lazarus could stand up and say the same thing. I was he that was dead, but I'm alive. He may not allow you to physically die, but just to where you feel like you're getting so low. But really, we are dying. It's the dying of our confidence. It's the dying of our strength in ourselves. I used to know a preacher in Pentecost, Brother Paul. He was one of the greatest Bible-quoting preachers I ever met in my life. And I, I really admired him. But I happened to spend a little time with him one day over in Virginia. And he told me the reason that he did that was if he got in a hard spot in the service, he'd just start quoting the Bible. And he could quote it like a Gatling gun. I mean, chapter, verse, the whole thing. It was just, and I, I began to think of that, and I thought, so really, that's his crutch. His knowledge of being able to quote the Word. I wonder what our crutches are called today. And wonder if he don't let us come down to the ash heap. Remember, that's where he brought Job. Remember Brother Branham preached on that ash heap for about a year? And a sister come to him and said, Brother Branham, when are you ever going to get Job off that ash heap? Well, I guess that sister didn't know categorically according to the amount of time Job was in that book about a year. <laughs> well, the prophet was about right on his time, wasn't he? Oh, how, how many knows that sometimes you can get there and you look around, there ain't no hope. Here comes Bill, Dad. Here comes this friend. You go to church with that friend. Your mom even calls you and says, you picked out your casket yet? If you got your shoes signed for your funeral, boy, there ain't no hope for you. But if God is not done with you yet, I don't care if the funeral parlor is calling for you and says, is he gone yet? We done got the casket ready. We done got the embalming food ready. If it ain't God's time, you ain't going. I said, you ain't going. Because the devil didn't bring us here and the devil ain't going to take us away. By the grace of God. Friends, you know where we are, don't you? We're on the journey to the throne. The book of Psalms tells us about Joseph. Until his word came, the word of the Lord tried him. God had a word with Joseph's name on it. And the word of the Lord tried him until his word came. Well, maybe today is your delivery date. Maybe the word's been trying you. Maybe today, maybe tomorrow, maybe in the meeting. So, oh, I can't wait till the meeting. Why would you want to put it off for a full more days? If today's your day, I'd grab it. I'd grab it right here. It's the same Lord Jesus, whether it's me preaching or whoever else is preaching. It's not the preacher, no way. It's Jesus himself that we want to grab a hold of. So one day, Joseph's word came into the dungeon where he was. What was he on that whole period of time? What was he on? A journey to the throne. To have a character that he would be made 
right up next to Pharaoh. We realize when we leave this world, whether by death or by body change, we will not go to a character supplemental school. We will go through a spiritual purgatory that there will be supplied to us what we lacked. When the bride leaves this world, she will lack nothing. You don't believe in miracles? Brother, that is a miracle. When we leave this world, can you imagine there won't be one thing lacking in our life? Not one thing. We will go straight from this hell into the paradise of God. By 1965, when the prophet finished the church age book, the streets had already been laid. To give us a little update on the construction. The streets had already been laid. The gates had already been hung. Praise God. And the angels were standing there breathlessly awaiting for its inhabitants. Now, if that was in 1965 and here we are in 2023, can you imagine? Wish that's been a long time. Not according to God's time today. It's just been a few minutes. So they've been sitting there just holding their breath a few minutes. What are they waiting for? Us. And we will fight all this hell and go through all this stuff. And one day we'll get up and it'll feel like any other normal day. Probably the rapture will be on Monday. I mean, one of the worst days of the year. Right? Some of y'all thinking on Sunday, so you'll be sharing church. Huh? Well, being Christ, that way you'll be ready Monday through Saturday. One of the worst days ever was. Everything in the world's going wrong. And all of a sudden, a sweep goes over you. I've told it to you before, but it was a dream I had years ago. We was at the old church. Brother Buzz Livingston was standing out there, and I was out there in the front talking to some different brothers. And his brother Buzz that I noticed. And I watched it begin with his fingertips. And he'd reached his hand out to shake hands with somebody. And I watched his hand, it just went and his hand disappeared, and it just swept over him. I noticed other people, some of y'all was there. Some of y'all was there in the dream. And I noticed you was disappearing, and I looked down at myself like this, and it started with my feet. I don't care where it starts. It can start with my nose, my ears, I don't care, as long as it starts. And I watched myself with my eyes, and I just, and I was enveloped into another body. Oh, glory to God. So no matter what we have to go through because of his glory, his grace, his mercy, it is a light affliction. But for a moment, let's bow our heads. And maybe I'd like to be remembered today before the Lord. Friends, he knows where you are. He knows what you're going through. Maybe some of you are so low, you're even lower than ashes. You know when ashes can actually go back to acids and gases. Maybe you think, dear God, I've never been so low in my life. Never been through so much in my life. Listen for the voice of God to call your phoenix.
Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Oh, thank you, Lord Jesus. How many just by the raising of your hand to the Lord Jesus now? Say, Lord, pass by my way today. Maybe some of you are so physically weak. Maybe some of you are spiritually weak. That's just all you can do to get your hand up. Hallelujah. But the dawning wind, I don't know when. How? I don't even know how. But I know he will. David said, I've been young and now I'm old. I've never seen the righteous forsaken. No, he's seen begging bread. David said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Hallelujah. Wherever you are today, friends, he sees you. Young people, he knows what you're going through. Moms, dads, he knows where you are. Heavenly Father, what a right given to us, the right to reign. How different the right is from the price. We don't go through any of these things to pay a price to be good enough. The price I'm talking about is getting rid of our flawed character, our imperfections. Really, in reality, Lord, your people wouldn't want it any other way. Why in the world would we want our way easy and us stand up there beside Paul, Peter, James, John, many of our fathers and grandfathers and grandmothers and the price they paid? Lord, at the breaking of the century when the gifts come back and they were laughed at, ridiculed, made fun of for dancing in the spirit and all that. And we want to go through this life and go through nothing? No, sir. I don't. I'm not the first in line when trials come. I'm not. I'm not the first in line when troubles come. But neither will I stand over on the sideline and say, if you don't mind, pass me on by. Lord God, I, I want to be a part of you. And suffering is a part of who you are. So I must suffer. Our suffering will be determined by you. For some, it'll be physical. For others, it may be psychological. It may be reproach for the way they dress on their job. It, it can be all sorts of things. Lord, for the God called men, much of what they go through, it's not for themselves. Decades of my life, I've went through one thing after another after another. And the majority of it has had nothing to do with me. It has to do with your people. I bear their fusses, their arguments, they're fighting. I bear their indifferences. I bear all of that. I didn't cause none of it. Not one thing. And yet if I don't handle it the way they want me to, they get mad as a hornet at me. And I'm bearing that for who? For you. Because if it's left up to me, when you call me as an 18-year-old boy, I told you then, and I tell you tonight, as a 66, almost 67-year-old man, I can't preach. I don't want to. I don't know how. Please, 
Choose somebody else. Lord, the same with these people. No doubt many of those burdens and their loads, they would have never chose what they had to go through. They would have never chose so hard and so difficult. But it's your prerogative, not ours. So help us, Lord Jesus. Oh, Father, may there be some births today. I ain't talking about a new birth. I'm talking about a conversion out of the ashes to where the will finally crumbles to a state of ultimate victory. Hallelujah. Oh, Jesus, then our lives change, our lives turn. As the phoenix, we arise and spread our wings and sail into a realm with God where we've never been before. Oh, Jesus, we worship you today, Father. Pass by this way, Lord God. Pass by this way. Would you lay your hand on the person standing by you, if you wouldn't mind? Let's just offer a word of prayer for them, can we? Oh, Lord God. Thank you, Father. Brother John, would you come and pray for the people? Lord God. Now, you're not praying for yourself, but you're going to pray for them. Hallelujah. I'll pray for you, Brother John. You pray for me. Oh, Lord Jesus. Father, how we love you, Lord. Yes, Father. Lord Jesus, how we, we thank you, Lord. Oh, Lord God, we pray for the Lord, needs of your people today, Lord. Humanity is part of us, Lord. We don't Help us, oh, Lord God, I pray. All joy, Lord Jesus. Help us, I pray, oh, Father. In the name of Jesus, may the Spirit of God help us, Lord. Encourage your people today, Father. Strengthen them, I pray, Lord God. In the name of Jesus, may the Spirit of God help them. Oh, Father, the weary, the down, Lord. Oh, Lord, those that feel like they can't go a step farther. Maybe they've arrived at their place of ashes. May there be a phoenix that will rise today, Lord God. In the name of Jesus, we pray for your saints today, Father. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray for healing in their body, healing in their spirits, healing in their mind, oh Lord. I ask you right now, dear God, in Jesus Christ's name, may the Spirit of God minister to your people today, Lord. We look to you, Father, with all that we are. Lord God, in the name of Jesus, we worship you, Lord. We bless your name, Father. Thank you, Lord. I pray for Brother John, Lord God. Help him, Lord, that he can be everything you want him to be. Help him, Lord, in the struggles of his life and the things of his life. Help him, Lord. Lead him, I pray, Father. In the name of Jesus, we need you, Father. We love you, Lord. We worship you, Lord God. We bless you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Lord. Oh, we need you, Lord. We need you, Lord, right now. Just tell him, saints, he knows what you need. Oh, Jesus, we need you, Lord. We need you, Lord. 
thank you, Lord God. We lift our hands, bow our knees. Let's worship him now. At your throne, we need you, Lord. We need you, Lord, right now. Now make it personal to him. Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you, Lord. Go ahead and tell him. I need you, Lord, right now. Oh, Lord God. Hallelujah. Lord, we need you. Oh, Father, we need you. I need you, Lord, right now. Right now. Right now, Lord. Hallelujah. I lift my hand. Bow my knees, I worship at your throne. We need you, Lord, we need you, Lord, right now. Oh, I need you, Lord, I need Bye. 
that you're familiar with, remember all that. I'm sure many of you have heard Brother Darrell whenever he will come up and pray. And he won't mention every person on his prayer list, but Brother Darrell has quite a prayer list contacted from people around the world. And he'll not mention all of them by name whenever he's up here, of course, praying for us. But he'll say, Lord, remember all those on our prayer list. I was thinking about it yesterday, and I thought, you know, I don't think that Brother Darrell should be the only one that has one of those. It'd probably be good if all of us had one. Different brothers, different sisters. And more. Well, I don't know what to pray for. 
I can give you enough names to last you for about 40 days and 40 nights. You need some help? I think it'd be good for all of us. Well, I can't remember. That's why they make paper and pencil. Y'all still have paper and pencil? All right, you still have a phone where you can be able to put it on there? Just remember, we've got so many that are sick and afflicted, and this is fulfilling the law of Christ by bearing one another's burdens. Go in the fear of God, and remember the meetings coming up this week. Remember, pray for Brother Ron. Brother Ron's still fighting his battle, of course, his own personal battle. I told him if he didn't feel he had enough strength to take the prayer line, we'd go on with it ourselves if need be, but just pray for him that the Lord will be with him. I know he'll want to be here and, and endure and pray for absolutely every person that he can. We're coming with great anticipation and expectation. I feel sorry for the devil. Amen. I feel sorry for the devil. <laughs> Praise the Lord. But then, God bless you, saints. Love you in the Lord. Go in the fear of God. Oh, victory is mine. Victory is mine. Victory today is mine. Oh, I told Satan, get I said, Lord, if you please, I rose up shouting victory. Oh, victory is mine. Victory is mine. Victory today is mine, mine, mine. Oh, I told Satan, get Victory is mine. Victory is mine.